Well, this morning I want to share a word with you. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is sort of springboards off of what we talked about last week. Last week we finished up our series called Christianity Light, and we talked about the fact that you were chosen to change the world. And uh, it was such a powerful day together. And I hope that you've been letting God use you to let Christ shine through you. But for the, today and, and maybe even the next couple of Sundays, um, not really a, a part of a series per se, but I want to springboard on that whole idea of changing the world and being used by Christ. And this morning I want to share a word with you entitled Ambulance Drivers Needed. I had somebody tell me before service they saw that and got concerned and said, I hope they're not coming for me. And I told her, I said, no, no, we're not looking for volunteer patients. We're looking for drivers. But uh, we're, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. If you want to turn there, I'm reading from the ESV. This is what it says. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and, and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Notice that he didn't hide his own money. He hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he came, and, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked, you can insert rebellious and disobedient there. You wicked, rebellion, disobedient, and slothful. You can insert lazy and unproductive. So he says, You wicked, rebellious, disobedient, slothful, lazy, unproductive servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. Uh, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given, will be, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus right now that your Holy Spirit would come among us, that you would enter into us, that you would fill this place, that you would speak to us. Lord, we ask that you would commune with us deep within our innermost being and in such a way that, God, today when we leave this service, we will know that we have heard from you. doesn't matter if we say, what a great sermon. We're asking that when we leave from this place today, we will say, surely I have heard from the living God today. And I believe you for this, and I thank you for it in advance. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Some years back, uh, PBS aired a documentary concerning Medal of Honor recipients throughout human, uh, not human, <laughs> American history. I guess that's part of human history, but, uh, but uh, there, there were many, many of them, and they were fascinating stories. But there was one particular story that especially drew my attention. It was from the Pacific Theater during World War II. There was a young man, and, and basically an ambulance driver. He was a medic who had crawled under heavy enemy fire over and over and over and over again to rescue wounded comrades. Many of you have heard of him by now because of the movie that came out a few years ago called Hacksaw Ridge. Many of you have heard of him. His name was Desmond Doss. With withering fire all, all around him, he had crawled up a rope ladder onto a shelf 
where they had been pinned down by, by machine gun fire from the enemy. Then crawling out onto the ledge, he would crawl along. He would take a wounded comrade, uh, tie him to a rope harness, and then lower him by hand over the ridge to safety. And Desmond Doss crawled back into the battle over and over and over and over and over again. And as he did, his body, as you can imagine, naturally began to feel the strain of what he was doing, lowering by himself the weight of a full-grown man over and over and over again down over this, over this uh, ledge. And each time he would, he would finish and then he would say a prayer before he would go back into the fire. He would just every time pray, Lord, help me get one more. Help me just get one more. And over and over and over and over again, when his body seemed as if it couldn't go on, he would pray that prayer, Lord, help me get one more. Then he'd go back into the battle and save another soldier. And he did that 75 times. On his last trip, he himself was seriously wounded. Instead of stopping to tend to his own wounds or even tie a tourniquet around his leg, he kept crawling until he deposited that wounded comrade to safety. And then he himself uh, was taken to, uh, uh, to uh, safety into the hospital to get treated for, for his wounds. And it's one of the most stirring stories I've ever heard. And if you've never seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, I highly recommend it. It is very powerful. I remember I went to see it when it was in the theater. I went one uh, afternoon when Julie was in school and the girls were in school and I was by myself and I thought, I'm going to go see this movie. And I sat there in this theater watching this, found myself just bawling, just weeping um, as, uh, as it spoke to me, not just about his story, but it spoke to me about our mission. That when we're tired, that, that we just sometimes have to say, Lord, just help me reach one more. Just help me reach one more. It's one of the most stirring stories that you, you will ever see. And the do documentary, though, on PBS, um, it, 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 it did more than just tell the story. It was, an, it was a documentary, and, and they, the documentarian interviewed a man who, at the time, had been the young company commander uh, but by, by, now, by the time of the, they made the documentary, both of the men were well into their 60s or early 70s. But that man, the company commander, had watched that young medic, Desmond Doss, crawl into enemy fire to bring out wounded comrades. And the, the documentarian asked him what he was thinking when he saw this act of heroism and bravery. And, and he answered by saying, I can tell you exactly what I was thinking. I was remembering that when he came into our company, I thought he would be the most worthless and useless soldier that I had ever dealt with because he had been forced into our company as a conscientious objector. He said, Desmond told me there is nothing that I'm willing to kill for. And he said, I asked him that how can you possibly benefit this company? And Desmond looked at him and he said, sir, my religious convictions forbid me to kill, but they do not forbid me to die. He, he said, I did not say that there was nothing I was willing to die for. I said that there was nothing I was willing to kill for. And he said, I will die for my comrades. Well, the company commander said, I, I doubted his words. I thought he was a sissy. I thought he was a coward, but I watched him there crawling through the mud, crawling through his own blood to drag our wounded soldiers out from underneath the machine gun fire. And I realized he was one of the great heroes of the war. And indeed he was, and he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. My friends, this account from Matthew 25, in that account, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. There, there, there was a man who went away on a journey to a faraway land. That was Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus had, has ascended to the high, on high to the right hand of God Almighty. There he has received before the presence of the angels and all the company of heaven a crown of glory that God himself placed on his head. There in the heavenly realm, in that spiritual dimension, Jesus rules as prophet, priest, and king uh, at the right hand of the Father. But we know that there is going to come a time when he comes again. And, and, and as he is left here, when he left this place, he left for us a clear and explicit command. And that is 
be about my business until I come. He said, there are things that are to be done here on this planet by the presence of the church until the return of Jesus Christ. And those things he has surrendered into our hands. And the only way that they're going to get done is if we are faithful and obedient. And so this story is symbolically carried forward in the story of these men with the talents. Jesus uh, uh, gave to one man five talents. Now, now we want to make sure we understand that talent here does not mean ability or giftedness. That's the word that we have in English. It's unfortunate, but a talent was just a type of a Roman coin. And so this man had been given five coins of great value. And so the master gave one man five talents and he said, use this until I come. It, it does not belong to the servant. It is not his talent. He, it belongs to his master. His master leaves and he, and he will come again expecting return on his event, investment. And he gave another man two talents and he gave another man one talent, each according to their ability. And so let's see, as we look at the story, who we identify with in this story. I, I, think, I think most of us largely identify with the guy who's given one talent, don't we? You know, I mean, don't you just sometimes, I want you to be honest now, don't be all spiritual and, you know, all humble, you know, where you go like, humble's my middle name and I'm proud of it kind of thing. Uh, don't, don't do that. But don't you just sometimes just despise those characters that have five talents? You know what I'm talking about? To 10 talents, to 20 talents. You know, I've seen a lot of other churches in my time and, you know, something that just really always just tends, if I just let it, if I let it, it just gets my goat. And it's, it's, it's watching these preachers that can do everything. Just drives me crazy. They can do everything better than anyone on their staff. But the truth is, most of us identify with the guy who has one talent. We, we don't see ourselves as these glorious, well, uh, you know, highly gifted servants of the, of the king. I mean, I don't fool myself, uh, it, it, you know, thinking that I'm like Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. I'm not some great preacher. I'm not some big shot in the kingdom. I'm a one talent soldier. And I think most of us see ourselves in that light. But the point of this story is that whatever he's given you uh, in, in my life, I will answer to God if I stand aside with my hands in my pocket and say, well, I didn't get five talents. I, I can't play the piano. I, I can't preach. I, I can't sing. I'm not the senior pastor. I can't do anything. And we bury our talent in the earth. But when the Lord comes... He's going to expect a return on his investment. He's going to expect a return on whatever he has poured into my life, whatever he's poured into your life. If he didn't give me anything except a, a charming smile, then he gave me that and he's going to expect a return on that investment. When he returns with the saints in glory and the church rises to meet him in the air, we are all going to stand before him. And the Bible tells us there's going to be a judgment of God. Now, there are multiple judgments when you look at end times events and we get all confused on these things. This is not the judgment for salvation because that judgment has been paid for by the blood of Christ. This is a judgment about the things that we did on this earth. There's going to be a judgment about our works and, a, and a, really about our motivation, why we did the things we did. Because how many of you know sometimes you can do the right thing for the wrong reason? You know, you can do the right thing because it brings glory to your, yourself and makes you look good. Or you can do the right thing because you want to bring glory to Christ. You did the right thing both times, but it was a completely different motivation. And there's going to be this testing, this judgment of our motivations. And, and as, as I said, it's not going to be a judgment for salvation. It's not a determination whether you're saved or not, but it's going to be a judgment for reward. And he's going to expect a return on his investment. And I believe with my whole heart that there are going to be people who stand in that judgment of the church and, and they're going to say, Lord, well, you, you just didn't really give me anything except, except for the ability to work with children. That's all you gave me. I, I could have taught children's Sunday school, I guess, but I wanted to be a pastor of a church and, and I wanted to play the piano and I wanted to lead worship. I wanted to be on the platform. I wanted to have 10 talents, but all I got was the ability to work hard work, and to work hand puppets in children's church. And it just seemed so stupid and demeaning that I just buried the hand puppets and the children and didn't do anything. But well, the Lord, here you go. Here's what you gave me. I buried it. I didn't do anything with it. And I believe with all my heart that there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. As Jesus says to some, I left you to work until I came. 
I told you to be busy with children, but you wanted another job. I gave you this one talent of working with children and you wanted five talents. Therefore, that which you've been given will be taken from you. The one who had five, let him have the reward because he used what I gave him. So this is a very sobering parable that Jesus tells here. This is a parable that calls us as his people to action. Here's the reality. Not everybody can be a general. Not everybody can be a captain. Not everybody can even be a lieutenant. Not everybody can be a company commander. In fact, not everybody can even fire a rifle when the, in the army. But before God, anybody can be an ambulance driver. Not everybody is going to be a hero. Not everybody is going to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. But there is not one person within the sound of my voice today that can't show the tenderness and love and compassion and care and concern of Christ to the lost and dying world around him. Listen, not everybody's going to win a thousand souls for, for Jesus. Right? We know that. But everyone can speak a word of tenderness and compassion for Christ. Everyone can love somebody in the name of Jesus. You know, the truth is, I, I'm not gifted in personal evangelism. I've known people that were. They just, every, every conversation they have, it just comes so easily to them to be able to turn the conversation to Christ. I, I, I'm not naturally gifted in that area. Uh, soul winning on the streets or in personal encounters is not my great, great gift. Now, I do work at it. I, I strive for it. I do everything I can. I have won some people to Christ, but I don't particularly feel very fluid with it, if so to speak. Uh, I, I, it's not a particularly a gift with me, but I work at it. I strive for it. But, but you know something? Here's what I have come to realize. And this is what I what I hold on to in my life. I may never be the greatest soul winner in the world, but I'm content if God will allow me to win the greatest soul winner in the world. I may never be the greatest preacher in the country. I work at it. I try my best. I try to offer something to you every time I stand in front of you that's to the best of my ability. I work hard at it. I put it together. I try to make it make sense, which sometimes and I, I know I fail on that. But 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 I, I may never be. I, I will never be the greatest preacher in, in the country. But but here's what I know. I don't know who's in the audience the next great preacher, the next Billy Graham, the next Charles Spurgeon, the next D.L. Moody, the next one who's going to bring revival, the person who's going to preach down the third great awakening in the United States may be seated right here today. And if I'm never going to be used by God in the five talent realm, then just fine. That's I'm fine with that. But I don't want to squander the little miserable pitiful talent that I've been given. Whatever it is, I want to parlay it into a fortune for God. Listen, if I can't be a general, then God, let me be a captain. If I can't be a captain, then Lord, I'll be happy to be a lieutenant. If I can't be a lieutenant, then God make me a staff sergeant. And, you know, they accomplish more than lieutenants anyway, if you, if you, you know the truth. If I can't be a staff sergeant, Lord, let me at least be a private first class. If I can't be a private first class, then Lord, I'll just crawl through the mud and to rescue people. Just let me be an ambulance driver. Lord, let me save at least one soul. Let me save one more person. Lord, I may not... I, I, I may not crawl under withering machine gun fire and rescue 75 men, but, but Lord, with your help, I might say the right word at the right time in the right place to that one person and they come to know Christ and then they touch thousands. I don't want to squander the talent that I've been given. So what does it take to be an ambulance driver? What does it take to be faithful to God at the one talent level. Well, the first thing it takes is great courage. Great courage. My friends, listen, listen to this. I believe with all my heart, it takes far less courage to operate on four out of five talents than to operate on one out of one. The, the less natural ability you have, the, ness, the less natural power you have, the fewer clear-cut gifts and abilities you have, the more courage is needed to step up and use it. It takes greater courage 
to perform at the peak of your capacity than to, uh, than to work on four cylinders when you're capable of five. It takes, it even takes more courage to operate on one talent when you're capable of one than it is, than to operate on five talents when you're capable of five. Let me, let me put it like this, illustrate like this. When, when you're a coach, I don't know if anybody here has coached, uh, athletics at any level or whatever, but when you're a coach, every coach that I've ever known, they love it when they get those those players on the team that are just tremendously talented, you know, those great natural athletes. They, not like me, you know, when I was in school, uh, I'm not going to say I was slow, but they timed my 40 with a calendar, you know, so, so that tells you something there. So it wasn't me, but, but every coach loves to get that one, that, that great natural athlete, you know, those, the kind of athletes that, uh, they, that they just, they have this amazing vertical leaping ability and they can, jump up and stuff their whole body down through the hoop, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you always love to coach a kid like that. But, but can I tell you who coaches really admire? I want to tell you who they admire. They admire that kid who is never going to be anything but a second stringer who becomes the best second stringer that they can be. They don't have all the natural ability to hit a jump, st- jump shot uh, from the top of the key nine out of 10 times, but they work hard to the point where they can hit it six out of 10 and they develop their skill to hit it six out of 10 times no matter what. Coaches admire those kids that give it all even though they know they don't have all the natural abilities of some of those other kids. Even though they know they'll never run as be as fast as that really fast runner, but they give everything they've got and they work as as hard as they can, they leave it all on the field. Those are the players the coaches admire. How much more than the saints of God and the fellowship of the community of the faith who have been given those spiritual abilities from God that may not be in the great spotlight ministries of the church. I'm here to tell you something. I have great admiration for the people who take on the ministry of doing things like cleaning toilets so that we have a clean place here at this church for people who do the behind the scenes stuff, you know, uh, pretty soon we're, we're going to have this baptismal service. And I know there's somebody that's going to go back there and they're going to, they're going to clean out that tank just so that we'll have, uh, you know, be able to fill it with clean water. I admire that kind of, the kind of a, a ministry where people say, listen, I'm not in the spotlight. I'm not doing anything spectacular, but I'm giving my all. I'm doing the best I can here. You know, it's something, something like the ability to stand in the foyer and greet people in the name of Jesus. We are so blessed to have Miss Willie in our church. She just back there and she gasped, but we are. Because you know what? Standing at the door and greeting someone with a smile and making them feel welcome and, and handing out the, 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 the discussion guides and all those kind of things, that is a powerful ministry. In fact, did you know that statistics tell us that when a guest comes to a church, they make up their mind within the first 10 minutes whether they're going to come back to that church again? That means that's way before I ever get up here. I could preach the greatest sermon they've ever heard in their life, but they already made up their mind if they're coming back or not. You know why? It's because of people like Miss Willie and people who work with her and people who stand at the, at the, at the door and greet and people who go up and talk to them while they come in. It, it, it's, it's those people. I love those people that stand out by the door and they're not trying to be big shots and they never even thought about thinking themselves that way, but they just stand there and offer a smile and a handshake as people come through the door. I have talked with people who came to this church who have said that they've said that this is one of the friendliest churches they've ever been in. And it's because of people like that. If you're using your ability to love people and to welcome them into a church, then you are having an impact on people. You are having an impact on God. That's a gift of God. And that is a work of God. That's people who are putting to work the talent that they've been given. I believe with my whole heart that the one talent believer is the real, real risk taker. These are the people that operate in courage. Those who have the least are often the ones who are willing to give the most. Uh, when I say that, it makes me immediately think of a man back in Georgetown. His name was Olin. If you met Olin, just by meeting him, you probably wouldn't think much about him. Olin had nothing. And, and he had 
he, he, he just didn't know how to take care of himself in this world. That's the only way I can explain it to you. He, he walked, you saw him all over the city because he walked everywhere he went. But Olin, he would call the church, he would just say, is there anything I can do around the churches? Maybe, maybe I can rake or I can sweep, I can do something. Or, and I'm telling you, he, he didn't miss birthdays. He would, he would find a card. It might be one that he had in his house that somebody had given him, and he'd scratch out the names, and he'd, he'd give it, and he'd give that to you, and it'd be some gift in there. Like he found out one time that Julie uh, liked uh, Joe Stafford, the old, old singer, and, and every time he saw any, found anything with Joe Stafford in it, he had a gift for Julie. He had nothing. Anything he had, he was giving it away. There are people like this that, that, that bring into play their, their one gift for the glory of God, for the extension of the kingdom. And it seems to me that they're the ones that might be the most tempted to say, well, you know, I, I don't have any great gifts I'm not some high profile leader or some great personality. I'm just going to do nothing. But instead, it's been my observation and my experience that often the hardest to engage meaningfully for the task of the kingdom that have to get done are often those with the greatest number of talents and natural and supernatural talents from God. Often it's the great, the ones that are greater, more greatly gifted that are harder to get to get involved and do things than it was the one who says, I have one talent, I'm going to do whatever I can. And sometimes though, there, those, there are those who have the one talent level and sort of a kind of reverse pride they bury the one that they have because they haven't the courage, the great risk-taking courage to risk that one. T take the guy now, Desmond Doss, who won the Congressional Medal of Honor. He says to himself, I, he could have said to himself, you know what, I don't, I don't even get combat pay. Did you know that during World War II, a medic didn't receive combat pay because they weren't supposed to shoot anyone. And so now they could get shot, but they, but they couldn't shoot anyone. So they didn't get, they didn't even get combat pay. They just got regular pay. So he says to himself, I, I'm not drawing any combat pay. There's not going to be any glory out of this. The generals are going to get all the glory. The heroes are going to get all the glory. All I'm going to end up with is a belly full of lead. And I'm not even going to be appreciated because they don't like conscientious objectors. He says, I don't have too much at stake here. I don't have too much at risk here. It seems to me that he could have said to himself, hey, let the heroes crawl out there and, and, and get those guys. Let those ones up who have the bars on their shoulders, let them go get them. But what he said was, all that I have is my job as an ambulance driver. All that I am, the only thing I am is just a lowly medic. And, and all I am is one person in this huge army. But I will do what I can and I will risk all that I have. And he risked the one thing that he had, his life. What courage. What courage. You know what I, I couldn't help think as, as they interviewed the company commander? Maybe you, maybe you had the same thought. He said, you know, I, I sat with my troops and watched him crawl back and forth many times and rescue wounded comrades. I, I, you know what I couldn't help thinking? Maybe you thought the same thing. I thought, well, where were you? I couldn't help but think, here's a, here's a guy who's, he's got the bars on his shoulders. He's got the command. He's got the responsibility. And he's, and he's back there like, yeah, Desmond, you, you crawl in there and get those. We're right behind you, buddy. Go for it. And in that way, I was impressed not only with who did go, but it made an impression on me who didn't go. Great courage, willing to die. The kingdom of God, this church, Needs people with the courage to be willing to take the risk to go next door and invite someone to church. To, 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 to tell somebody, to sit down across the table with a cup of coffee and tell somebody, Jesus loves you. Risking that even that might be rejected. But the second thing that it takes to be an ambulance driver is not only great courage, but it takes great caring. Great caring. Listen to me for a moment. The, the, this, this one point really flies in the face of a huge percentage of what the, the modern, western, self-centered, self-aggrandizing contemporary church is all about. A huge percentage of the modern western church, particularly in modern, uh, uh, the modern American church, 
a huge percentage of it is centered on what does this religion, what does this church, what does this Christianity do for me? How can it make me rich? How can it heal me? How can it bless me? How can it strengthen me? What can it do for my family? What can it do for me? A huge portion of the American church is caught up in a spirit of consumerism. I mean, think about it. We even call it church shopping. We've raised a whole generation that wants to belly up to the blessings bar day after day after day and enjoy the blessings of God. And we eat them up and we're all stuffed. But, but some, so many times we are not willing to allow God to turn our eyes on a lost and a dying world. Listen, I am, I am Pentecostal. I love Pentecostals. I speak in tongues. I'm in this. I'm in it all the way. But I want to tell you something. I absolutely cannot understand a so-called spirit-filled religion that wants to talk in tongues and dance in the aisles and get slain in the spirit, but does not have a burden for the lost people of the city. In fact, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Listen, I want to see miracles. Oh, I want to see the power of God loose, but that's not what it's all about. If I never see another miracle in my lifetime, I'm going to go on soul winning because that's what matters is bringing people to Jesus. I want to see people healed, but that's not what it's all about. Jesus came to not only heal in the physical sense, but he came to heal eternally. That's the far more important thing. And every person that Jesus ever healed still, still has to face eternity. And I want to see people healed. But if I never see another person physically healed for the rest of my life, I'm still going to go on soul winning and trying to bring people to Jesus. I believe in God's financial prosperity, but if every Christian in all the universe went bankrupt in one split second, I'm going to go right on soul winning and bringing people to Jesus. If I never see the supernatural hand of God stretch out again, I'm going to go on right on soul winning because I know that there's an eternal realm that is beyond this physical realm, that is beyond all of these temporary things that we are so uh, caught up in so often. And every person that's blessed, that's healed, that's provided for that's been delivered they're still going to have to stand before the judgment bar of God and I care about them I care about them and I pray oh God give this great church a caring heart oh God give Restoration Life Church a heart that is broken for the lost of this city God give us a heart for the up and coming and the down and out and the high, the low, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, to care for them, just to be concerned about our next door neighbor, to love them in the name of Jesus, to really love them. And love, remember, is not a feeling. It's a decision that we make. It's the actions. Love is, is laying down my, my life for someone else. That's the ultimate act of love. Something is wrong when a person has been blessed, had miracles, had been touched, been filled with the Spirit, loves his church, loves his pastor, goes to a life group, but won't walk across the street and invite his neighbor to church even. Something's wrong in that. It's because he has not allowed the Holy Spirit to infiltrate the innermost being of, that, of, the, of his own innermost being with great caring and compassion and love. And listen, here's the thing we have to be careful at, uh, of in this world, in our culture, in our evangelical environment even. When we become entertainment oriented, we lose our power and we lose our ability to fight. I mean, think about it like this. Imagine an army. And uh, I fear that, that our, our national army might be getting a little close to this. But imagine an army that said, oh, we don't want to fight. All we want to do is we just want to go down to the USO and enjoy the show. We, we don't want to fight. We want to be entertained. The modern Western church has largely spent so much time in the USO that, that we can't win the war. We just sit in camp waiting for the next traveling dog and pony show. And all right, who's going to do something really neat for us today in the name of Jesus? Friends, that's not what Jesus is about. That's not what I'm about. That's not what this church is about. This is, this is not just to entertain the troops, brethren. I believe that if we're not careful, 
uh, uh, about that, then we're going to fall into serious traps. I mean, I remember a number of years ago, it was quite a, quite a while back now, but a major publishing company published a story, and I don't know if any of you will remember it, I don't even remember the title of the book, but they published a story about an Indian princess that had gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if anybody remembers that or not. And it sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies because it was fascinating. It was flashy. It was interesting. Everybody wanted to read about the Indian princess that had gotten saved and filled with the Spirit. Of course, the problem was that in our rush for novelty and in our blitz to publish the next book and to have the next bestseller or to be the next person to have the Indian princess come in to speak, that nobody bothered to check out the fact that she wasn't even Indian and she wasn't a princess and she wasn't saved. Somewhere in this nation, unless they've somehow taken it to a landfill, there's a warehouse with thousands and thousands of copies of this life story of this Indian princess, but it was a monstrous hoax on the charismatic community. And we might hear that and we say, shame on that publisher. But I say shame on us because we've created the atmosphere that wants the next big entertainment. We want the next big star, the next show, the next concert, and we're not willing to fight. All we want is the Bob Hope show. This can't be what this church is about. What Restoration Life Church must be about is the, is the nitty-gritty. It's winning the lost at any cost. Restoration Life Church must be about loving this city right into the kingdom. Restoration Life Church must be about people caring about other people. Restoration Life Church must be about adults loving children into the kingdom of God. Restoration Life Church must be about teenagers who care about other teenagers. Uh, uh, they don't sit around and gossip about who's sleeping around and who's doing drugs and who's doing this or that and, you know, and, and getting all of that. But they are, but they are concerned. They actually care about their fellow teenagers and they want their friends to know Jesus. Restoration Life Church must be about must be about elderly that care about the elderly. If you want to move forward in your walk with Jesus and move forward as a church, you need to understand that this is not about entertainment. This is not about you. This is not about trying to put something together so that you enjoy yourself in church. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope you do enjoy the presence of God. But it, but it's it's we have to remember. It's not about us. It's not even about trying to come in here and get blessed. It's more about learning how to come in here and be a blessing. Because the truth is, when we get that figured out, we discover that the greater blessing for us is learning to be a blessing to others. There's only one question you need to ask yourself. Here's the question. Do I intend to take part in winning the lost? Do I intend to take the call of God seriously and be part of his mission in trying to bring people to Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. Doesn't mean you go out on the street corner, you know, and get on a, you know, milk crate. I don't even know if they have milk crates anymore. It doesn't mean that you have to learn and memorize the four spiritual laws. It means that with every opportunity he gives you, you're pointing to Jesus. You're pointing to Jesus. Do you intend to be a worker and a doer and a committed follower of Christ who is faithful to the command of Christ? Or do you intend to just bury the talent? What this church needs is folk who, will, who, that, who do whatever God calls them to do, no matter the risk. No matter the cost. That's what, frankly, it's what every church needs. This must be a body of Christ that is about people who want to care for the lost, want to care for the dying, want to care for those that are far from Jesus. I'm, I'm going to close with this. Now, listen to this. The, the annals of church history are filled with accounts of Christians that knew about many, many things, but never actually participated in those things. The annals of the church are replete with Christians who know more about soul winning than you or I do, and they never want anybody to Jesus in their life. They know all about teaching Sunday school, but they never actually teach one. They understand the need for people to work in the nursery, but they won't 
in a, in a million years actually go in there. They understand all about children's ministry, but they won't help. They understand about visitation, but they won't go. They understand all of these things, but they won't get up off the pew. The annals of church history are filled with accounts of Christians that knew all about all of these things, but they never really participated. I want to remind you what James said in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The problem is that it becomes so familiar to us that we attend a meeting where somebody talks about, for example, prayer. And the temptation is to think that we actually have prayed. Just because we have heard a sermon on prayer, that does not mean that we have really prayed. We go to a church service where somebody talks about soul winning before, uh, and before God, we actually hear that and get so tuned into God and we're like, yeah, I want to be a soul winner. And then we actually deceive ourselves into thinking that we have won somebody when we haven't done anything. We've actually just heard a sermon about it. There, there was a, a young man who was the assistant principal of a very good Christian school in the Atlanta area for several years, a number of years back. He was doing very well for himself. Uh, the Lord began to work on in his heart about being involved in missions. And he, he went to classes and seminars and conferences about missions. He talked about missions all the time. And finally, a, a man who sat on the board of a ministry called Trinity Foundation, uh, which is a foundation that was committed to giving a clear presentation of the gospel around the world, the man on the board heard this young man talking about missions all the time. And he said, why don't you go? Why don't you actually go on the mission field? And the young man looked at him and said, is, is there a door open? And the man said, yes, go to Africa, work for the Trinity Foundation, quit talking about missions and go. And the young man said, that's all I've been waiting for. He resigned his well-paying job, leased out his house, and he left just like that. Just, just went. Great courage. Great caring for the people of Africa. Commitment beyond what was expected. And you know what? Any, anybody could have looked at him and said, well, this is a guy that's already doing a great work. He's the assistant principal at a Christian school. He's helping lay a foundation in the lives of these kids. He, he's, do, he's already doing something great, but he committed himself. He went. He actually did it because he heard the call of God and he said, I need to obey the voice of God. He actually did it. He didn't just talk about it or dream about it or write books about it. He did it. And here's what I know. That is that the kingdom of God is enlarged on the shoulders of people who actually do something, not just those who are dreamers or talkers or the listless, lifeless saints that never really do anything. If God has spoken to you about visiting your next door neighbor or calling somebody up that you haven't spoken to a long time or, or, or going to somebody that you've met and inviting them to church or telling them about Jesus, instead of just looking at your spouse and saying, man, the Lord's really just given me a burden for such and such, go, do it. Whatever the Lord says for you to do, do it. Quit talking about it, preaching about it, singing about it, celebrating it. Just do it. I want to, I want to tell you this story. Dr. Mark Rutland, man that uh, I've learned so much from, is kind of a mentor from a distance sort of thing. But he shared a story about a trip he made to northeast Mexico where he saw something that he said he'll never forget. I remember him telling the story and. Uh, and when he told the story, when he gets to the end, he, he, he just chuckled as, I, as he told about it. But uh, he went down there on this mission trip and some of the people there, they, they took him and they, they said, come with us. They took him around the back of one of the houses and they said, we want to show you something really, really funny. Well, he went with them and he walked around that house. And as he came around the corner, he saw a little chicken pen with about 50 or 60 chickens in it. Right, and right in the middle of, of all of those chickens in that pen was a great, big, huge bird, an eagle, in with the chickens. There was an eagle in with the chickens. And, he, and that eagle was walking like the chickens. He was just in there walking around in circles in the, in the chicken yard. What had happened was that one of the residents of that little village in Mexico had captured this eagle when he was just a baby and he had staked it out in the, in the chicken yard. He put a stake around the ground and tied the eagle to the stake and raised it with these chickens. 
And he would throw the seed on the ground and all these chickens ate like chickens and walked like chickens. And this eagle watched them and learned from them and began to act like a chicken. After a while, they took the string off of the eagle's foot and that eagle had never flown. It was inside a little two or three foot tall chicken wire fence. And this stupid eagle was walking around the chicken yard like it, acting like a chicken. Dr. Rutland just couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. This great, huge eagle walking around, plucking up seeds off the ground like a, like a dumb chicken. That story is funny. It has a, when you hear it, it's a funny story. But, but the more I thought about it, the, the sadder it became because there's a tragedy inherent in this. This creature was not born for this. He was destined to soar on, on his wings high above the earth. This creature was born to fly, a great, noble creature. Yet he was confined to the ground like a chicken because he had never learned his potential in the animal kingdom. I know Christians just like that. They, they never really allow God to take them up out of the chicken yard and teach them to soar on eagle's wings. There are, though, those few noble, those... One talent saints of God who say, Lord, this is all I've got, but it's yours. I give you everything. I give you everything I have. Just use me. One of these was a lady named Linda Brown in a little church in Covington, Georgia. She got a burden for soul winning and, and she and one of her friends started a ladies daytime soul winning organization. They called it midwives because they said they were birthing new babies into the kingdom. And they gathered a few ladies around them that had a burden for souls and they would go out on Tuesday mornings and they'd park their car at the end of a subdivision. They'd walk down the streets knocking on the doors and people would open the doors and, 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 and they didn't say, hey, we're from such and such church. They just said, hey, we're from the midwives and, and we'd like to come in and talk with you. And they, they probably thought they were collecting for prenatal care and they'd let them in the house and they'd talk with them for a little while and and here's the thing about Linda. Linda is not a particularly educated woman. She's not a particularly gifted person. She was just a one talent housewife, but she had this great anointing of God on that one talent. And she would just sit there for a while and talk with them in the living room, talking with these ladies. And then eventually she'd finally say, let me ask you a question. If you died right now, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And I'm here to tell you that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people received Christ. One year, she won over 300 women to Christ. One year alone. One talent. You know, sometimes, I think of the investment that God has made in my life, and I tremble at the thought of standing in, at the judgment bar of God and having to give account for what I've done with what He's invested in my life. And it's in, it's in those moments that I'm challenged by people like Linda Brown, who, who, when she stands before God, she'll, she'll say, Lord, I didn't have much. I, I was just a, a simple, uneducated housewife, but here are the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that I won to Christ. And she will not weep, she will not wail, but she will rejoice when she hears her master say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? What this church needs is not great heroes. This church needs ambulance drivers. Ambulance drivers that are willing to crawl through the muck and the mire of people's lives in order to bring them to Jesus. This church needs people who will do everything they can with everything they've got for as long as they can for Jesus. This church needs people to use whatever God has given them to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. I'm here to tell you today, listen carefully, hear His voice. His sheep know His voice. And whatever the Lord tells you to do, whether it's to talk to a neighbor, invite somebody to church, tell them about Jesus, whatever He tells you to do, do it. Have the courage to step out and say, Lord, I don't have much. I'm a one-talent servant, but it's yours. Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you, Lord God, that you invite us, even if we're the one talent servant, you invite us to be part of what you're doing. And, and Lord, the truth is, there's far more of us one talent servants than there are of the five talent servants. And yet, God, you choose to use us. In fact, Lord, you said that you choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. and You choose the weak things of the world to confound the, the strong. So God, right now, we just say, we admit, we don't, we don't have that much. We, we, we're not that strong. We're, we're weak. We're, we're at times foolish. And yet, God, we want to put ourselves in your hands so that you can confound this world. And they'd say, I don't understand it. I don't understand how this one person could have such an impact. And God, I pray that you'd put that in our heart to say, Lord, I, I, just, I just want to serve you wherever I can. Because God, as we learned last week, we, we've been chosen to change this world. And the way that happens is to love people and to tell them the truth about Jesus. So God, lay that on our hearts. Challenge us, stir us, give us the courage where we need courage to step through those doors, those opportunities that arise. You set up divine appointments for us all the time, and sometimes we just miss them, God. Sometimes we know it's there and we're afraid to take that step, but God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to say, I'm going I'm to do it. Even if they reject me, I'm going to do it because they need to hear about Jesus. Help us to care for them that much. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around. I want to know if there's anybody here that would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to be a faithful, one-talent servant. Maybe you've got more than, more than one, but, and that's great, but if you say, whatever I have, I just want to give it to him. I want him to use it. If that's you, slip your hand up right where you are. I want to pray for you. All over this room, there are hands up. Father, you see all these hands. You see all these hearts, and Lord... All we know to do is say, God, I just don't feel like I have much to offer. But God, what I do have, I want to put it in your hands. And Lord, I pray that just like you did with the little boy with the lunch that you used to feed thousands upon thousands of people, God, that you would do that miracle in our lives. That as we come before you and say, here I am, I'm not much, I'm not, I'm not strong, I'm weak. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, but God, in the name of Jesus, that you'd fill us with your strength, you'd fill us with a, a holy courage and a boldness from the Holy Spirit. And God, that you would use us to touch thousands. And God, if, if I can't touch a thousand myself, then God, help me to reach the one who can. But God, use us. You saw every hand that was raised. You see our hearts. And God, I pray you'd help us to keep pressing in and keep surrendering and let you use us. God, we believe you for it. And we believe you're going to do great things in us. You're going to do great things through us. And you're going to grow your church. You're going to build your kingdom. And you're going to use these faithful servants as part of that process. And we give you thanks for it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.